Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Good to see everybody here today. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, uh, welcome to Life Church and welcome to week two of our current series, Deep Clean. Uh, last week we began this series and we talked specifically about how Jesus went out of his way uh, to inform the religious leaders of Israel the importance of cleaning out not only the outside of the cup but the inside of the cup. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 23. He said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He uses a word picture there of a cup and a dish, uh, and he really shows that while we many times can get the outside of the cup appearing to be clean by performing all the religious rituals and uh, all the things connecting to uh, the kingdom of God and the church, all the right things, the true work of Christ must be done uh, really by more than just polishing the outside of the cup. It requires an internal work, a, a deep cleaning, if you will. And if you're serious about cleaning deep, it requires you to deal with some stuff that may be easier just to not deal with. You, ever, you know that pile in the corner that you just ignore for a while because it's just easier to ignore it than to deal with it? Well, that's many times how we do some of the things that we have in our hearts, is we just ignore them, and uh, we try to avoid them, because it's easier than dealing with them. And last week, we talked specifically about being freed from shame, and how shame-based thinking can damage our relationships, our opportunities, and even our own thinking as we operate from a position of shame. And shame causes us to not just feel guilty for what we did, but it causes us to actually take on the identity of our mistake or our failure, or our greatest pain. Uh, we begin to see ourselves as what we did rather than who we are in Christ. And Jesus came and he took on the shame of all mankind through his death at Calvary. And he took upon himself the sins of the world and all of its accompanying shame. And through his resurrection, he gave us the opportunity to experience a new life in him. And as a matter of fact, Paul declared that if anyone was in Christ, he was a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And in Christ, we can declare today that the shame is gone. You don't have to live bound by shame. His grace will cover that and completely, radically save you and take you to a place where you can walk free from the shame that of your past and the mistakes of yesterday. So today we're going to talk, tackle another heart issue and one that I believe has the power to rob us of joy and to cause us to struggle to feel the peace of God that his presence was meant to bring into our lives. And so before I jump into that, I'd ask you to join with me in prayer for a moment and uh, ask the Lord to allow his word today to do in you what he desires. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this opportunity. 
Lord, one moment in your presence can radically change the direction of someone's life. And today, God, I believe there are people in this room that can have that kind of moment in your presence. And today, God, I thank you for all that you've done already in this house today, allowing us to experience your presence and, and feel that you are with us. But now, God, I pray that your word would radically do something different in our lives, that it would come and do the surgical repairs of our hearts that are necessary so that we can live truly free and truly uncluttered by the things of this world and the chaos of life that would come to, come to cause us harm. We trust you in this moment, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And uh, this passage will be on the screen if uh, you would like to follow along there. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have heard the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others that are in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Amen. So if you've never read that passage of Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul really has written a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he's reminding them of the importance of living clean and pure lives before the Lord. He, he deals with all sorts of actions that are not representative of the Christian life, and yet he felt the need to remind the church members in Ephesus that these actions would bring sorrow to God because of the way that they lived. He reminded them that Christ identified them as his own saving them for an eternal life in him. And then he shares five words that have fascinated me because much of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this passage are outward actions, anger, harsh words, slander, stealing, lying, important stuff to deal with. But these five words, they almost feel out of place. And I think Paul deemed them so important because in many ways his statement is almost prescriptive in some ways. It's almost preventative medicine. In other words, if you do this, then all these others will follow suit. In verse 31, Paul declares, get rid of all bitterness. How many times in our lives have we seen someone so consumed by bitterness that it leads to many other sinful actions? Because of the bitterness, they are angry, they lie, they fuss, they fight, they create slander, they cause trouble. Because of the bitterness, all these outward things begin to take place. Paul shares these outward actions that as a Christian we must remove from our lives, but in the midst of it, he declares, get rid of all bitterness. And that's my title for today, Get Rid of Bitterness. Just so we know what we're talking about when we refer to bitterness uh, we're not talking about the flavor that some of you may get in your mouth when you eat certain foods. Uh, really, it's the flavor of your soul. 
So let me share with you a clinical definition. Tim Clinton, a leader in, world, in the world of Christian counseling, says this. He says, bitterness is an attitude of extended and intense anger and hostility. It is often accompanied by resentment and a desire to get even. It is a result of not forgiving an offender and letting the hurt and the anger grow until the pain and resentment sour the person's view of life. He goes on to say that bitterness is brought about in our lives typically when we have unresolved anger. Anger that is allowed to ruminate around in our mind and we dwell on it and we replay it and we go over it and over it and over it and over it. Unresolved anger. We don't resolve it and so it makes us bitter. You ever met somebody that somebody did something to them and they tell the story over and over and over and over and you never can get beyond that story. They've become bitter because of unresolved anger. Or bitterness can come from an inability to grieve. When relationships fail to live up to expectations and they fail to meet legitimate needs, they can result in feelings of sadness and loss. And then when we aren't real about those feelings and we refuse to process the losses through grief, we store them up and they fester. And just like an infected wound, it spreads and it grows and bitterness is the result. Or bitterness can be caused by a lack of control. When other people don't meet your needs and you become obsessed with the idea that if they would just do this, and you fill in the blank, and because we are consumed by what someone else didn't provide or didn't do for us, we can become bitter. And like a cancer, it will spread until it has destroyed other relationships in our own lives. And because if someone didn't do for me, I'm not going to do for them. And on the cycle goes, bitterness spreading more bitterness, spreading more bitterness. And some of you went, no, nah, that's just not me. I don't know who you're talking about, preacher, with all that psycho mumbo jumbo, but uh, you just need to go on. That ain't me. Before you tune me out today, uh, let me dig a little deeper, if you will. How many of you have ever experienced that terrorizing feeling when it seems your world is falling apart and the pressure is just too much to bear and you wonder, God, where are you at? Anybody ever felt that way? These lights are bright, but I, I promise my hand is up twice and my foot too. If you've ever felt like that, you're going to relate to the story that we're going to read today. Go, go with me, if you will, to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, uh, Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to see a very powerful story of a woman whose world fell apart and she slipped into a place of bitterness. And we're going to watch as God turns her bitterness and her brokenness into a very powerful story of redemption, which is my prayer for what God will do with us in this moment today. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home, and he went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites, or descendants of Ephraim, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and then she went on to have her own network and was a great person on TV. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and the other was a, married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. 
So I want to pause there at that wonderful, beautiful moment and come back to the text in just a minute just to make sure you understand the context. This was during the era when Israel didn't have a king, and during this time the judges ruled and the people lived for about 350 years in complete chaos. If you know anything about the book of Judges, uh, basically throughout the book of Judges, one man would rise to power to deliver the people from all of the evil that was happening, and once they were delivered and God had taken care of them and gotten them out of the trouble they were in, they would get comfortable, they'd go right back to their sinful lifestyle, and they would begin to fall back into sin, then something bad would happen and God would have to deliver them again. He'd raise a man to power to deliver them over and over and over and over. It's a cycle of constant rebellion within the book of Judges, and if you've ever read that, you will see that very quickly. We don't know whether it was the husband's idea, but we don't know who came up with this idea to go to Moab, but the family decides to move from Bethlehem to Moab, and we don't know if the whole family agreed, but whatever the case, they made a very bad decision to leave the place where God had placed them and to move into enemy territory. And this decision had great cost because very soon Naomi's life falls apart. Her husband dies, and she's left with her two sons. But then about 10 years or so later, the two boys get wives, and then they both die as well. And I would imagine she found herself with very few options. And so she tells her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, uh, hey, you go back to your homeland, go back to mom and dad. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to look for a better life. I'm going to return to Bethlehem. She has a funny moment of clarity where in verse 12, I think it's 12, she says, you girls need to go on back home because I'm too old to get married again. And even if I manage to have sons, are you planning on waiting on them to grow up so you can finally give me grandkids? I mean, that's basically how she says it. And things are very bitter for her, and she even acknowledges it. She says, things are far more bitter for me than for you. In other words, your lives have hope. I don't have any hope. I'm so angry and frustrated about my plight in life. Just leave me alone. And that's when Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she says to her a very famous verse that I've heard many times at weddings uh, which has always been funny to me because it's the daughter-in-law saying it to her mom, and yet people will say this to the person they're about to marry, and it just, I don't know, just kind of context is king. But think about this, you know, a husband saying it to his wife is pretty cool, but a mother-in-law, daughter-in-law doesn't quite meet the marriage requirement. But Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And Naomi sees that Ruth is determined to go, so she doesn't try to convince her to stay behind, and together they begin this journey back to Bethlehem and Judah. Completely broken and devastated, with no hope in the human sense, Naomi goes back to her homeland. And you guys, before, we're, before Pastor sees this online, it's kind of funny. He's texting me right now going, what's going on? <laughs> I go away for five minutes and y'all blow the place up. What's going on? <laughs> uh, somebody reach out to Pastor and let him know what happened. <sighs> I'm really multitasking today. <sighs> So completely broken and devastated with no hope in the human sense, Naomi goes back to her homeland. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, it's so, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi? The women asked. Now, let me tell you, that was not a positive statement. Can this be Naomi? Oh, girl, you are looking so good. The years have been so good to you. You haven't aged a day what is your skincare routine? What in the liquid collagen have you brought from Lisa Atkins today? 
No, 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 no. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like, can that really be Naomi? She looks horrible. She looks like her life has fallen apart. So verse 20, Naomi responds, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Naomi, her name meant pleasant one, but she wanted to be called Mara. Mara meant bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Now this message is for any of you today who may feel like you started out full, but you came back empty. You find yourself confused or maybe even bitter at God. She says, call me Mara. I'm bitter. And then she says, I went away full and I came back empty. I'm guessing that there may be a few of you out there that can even relate to that in your life. You might have dreamed of a life full of relational blessings and instead you find yourself with relational brokenness. You're wondering, where are you, God? How did I end up here? Maybe you hoped and prayed and dreamed about a life of meaning and impact and yet you find yourself full of pain and loss. And you wonder, Where are you, God? I put my trust in you. I did what I thought was best. I tried really hard. I did my Bible reading plan for a while, and I went to church. I prayed. I was baptized. I I tried to give offerings. I tried to be a good person, and this is what I got, God? Where are you? I trusted you. I believed in you. I tried to follow you, and I went out full. Now I'm coming back empty. I had dreams of something better, and yet here I am today feeling hopeless. As we look at that story, it's interesting to me. I think there are three big ideas that kind of jump out of the story, and I want to try to highlight those for you. The first one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We learned that the wrong direction always leads to the wrong destination. The wrong direction always leads to the wrong destination. Anytime you're going in the wrong direction, you'll never get to the desired destination. And honestly, I I don't like terms like abs- that are absolute, like always and never, I think they're really not always true. Uh, but in this case, it always and always will be true that if you are going the wrong direction, you will always end up at the wrong destination. For example, if my destination is toward you and I turn my back and I walk towards the baptistry, I could walk until the leather falls off the bottom of my shoes and I would still never arrive to you. Do you agree with that? I mean, if I'm walking in the wrong direction, I can't ever hope to get to the right destination. If your destination today is Charlottesville and you get on 64 East, unless your car somehow grows skids on the bottom and can transverse water and go across the ocean all the way around the world, you will never get to Charlottesville heading east on 64, right? It just doesn't work. If you go in the wrong direction, you'll never get to the right destination. And that's what Naomi was doing. Her trajectory was away from God, away from where the blessings of God were for her life. It's almost impossible to describe to you how wicked and evil the people of Moab were, and that's where her and her family had settled. The Moabites worshipped the false god of Chemosh. The name Chemosh means destroyer. And in the worship of Chemosh, they demanded child and infant sacrifices, and it was known to be an incredibly an evil place. So what did Naomi and her family do? Naomi left where she was supposed to be in Bethlehem. The house of bread is what Bethlehem means. And she heads instead into enemy territory and discovers that the wrong direction always leads to the wrong destination. And I would ask you this today. 
Is your life pointed toward the things of God? I want you to take a moment think about it. Is the trajectory of your life pointing toward the things of God or toward the things of this world? Is the trajectory that you are on going in the, to the destination that you want to go? Does your mind drift toward the things that are good and God-honoring? Paul says, whatever things are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, those are the things that we should be thinking about. And my guess is that there are some of you who might would even say, well, at one time, that's kind of how it was. I mean, at one time, I would wake up with God on my mind, and I would seek him early in the day, and I would want my life to matter toward him no matter what that day. I would want to make a difference in somebody's life because of God, and I would look for ways to be a blessing, and I would listen for his voice, and I would be directed by his spirit. But perhaps along the way, you just got a little bit distracted, right? Maybe it was a new job. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was that you'd been locked up in your home for a year and you finally decided to get out and go to Taco Bell. I don't know what your distraction was. But somewhere along the way, instead of heading toward the right destination, you got a little bit distracted. Maybe COVID threw off your rhythm. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you had intimacy with God and the church and fellowship and then you were serving and you were in a small group and then you had spiritual momentum but the rhythm got messed up and suddenly you were just a little bit off. Maybe you found yourself let down by God. You thought he was going to do something and he didn't do something. And instead of pursuing him, you got just a few degrees off. Maybe without even knowing it, you just woke up one day and you realize, I've drifted a long way off target. This is not what I planned for my life. This is not where I thought I'd be. The question is, is your heart, is your life, is it moving in the direction of God? Because the wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. The second thing we learn from this story is so important is this. A distorted view of God always leads to a distorted view of life. If you have the wrong view of God, you're going to have the wrong view of life and how God is involved in it. Anytime we don't see God as he is, we start to wrongly interpret what is going on around us. And we see this in Naomi's case as well. What does she do? Interestingly enough, she starts blaming God when she stayed in Moab for more than a decade. She got mad at God because all these bad things happened, but when her husband died, she didn't recognize, hey, this is not the place for me and go home. She stayed for 10 more years. Think about this. She'd been away from her home, away from God's plan, away from the house of bread for more than 10 years. And because she was away from the things of God, it distorted how she saw God, and then it distorted how she saw life. And that brought her to the conclusion that really, God made my life bitter. This is God's fault. It's all his fault. God let me down. God didn't do what he should have done. And that may be where some of you are right now. Without even knowing it, you've gotten off the right trajectory. You're headed in the wrong direction. you got a distorted view of God. You're wondering where he is and why did he let you down. And without even realizing it, you may wake up and recognize, I'm a little bit bitter toward God. I just feel bitter toward God. Maybe you do realize it and you're a whole lot bitter towards God. I know people like that too. I don't understand why God just did it. He could have and he did it. Now, if you feel like that, I just want you to know today, I get it. I get it because I've been there. Many of you will not even know this, but the last five or six months 
been a really tough period in my family. Our daughter has been going through some really tough stuff, and as parents, we feel completely helpless at times. There have been nights I've been walking the floor praying, God, touch my little girl. God, I don't know why she has to face this. God, it's really not fair for her to have to carry such a heavy burden. God, please let her come through this with the same zest for life that she's always had. God, give her peace. Give us wisdom. Give us, help us to know how to help. One night, I stood outside of her room, and I just cried. God, I don't know what to do. I don't understand. It's not fair to ask so much of her, to have her process so much grief and pain when she's so young. This should be the time of her life, not the time to have to face so much pain. And as much as I found myself questioning God, how could you let this happen, God? Why does she have to go through this? It's so unfair. As much as I've been asking those questions, I know that she has been questioning God even more. And so a couple of weeks ago, Abby came up to me and she asked me if she could share with our church family some of what she's been facing. And I felt like this, this message today would be the perfect opportunity for her to do just that. I want Abby to come for just a moment and kind of share with you what she's been going through and how God is beginning to bring her to a place of healing in her life. Hello, everybody. Um, so my name is Abigail, for those of you who don't know. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be given an opportunity to share some things real close to my heart with you today. Um, so bear with me. Um, I first of all want to thank Pastor Thompson and my dad for giving me an opportunity to speak and for letting me take a few minutes from your message today. Bitterness is defined as anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly, which can lead to resentment. Bitterness, resentment, and anger are all things I struggle with, and I want to share with you some of the reasons why. A few months ago, one of my closest friends at college committed suicide. I was the last person he spent time with, and losing him has been incredibly difficult and stirred up feelings of bitterness, not only towards my friend for leaving me and my friends to pick up the pieces, but also at God for allowing the situation to happen in the first place. There are so many questions I've asked God, and most of them have not been worded very kindly. Um, but why would God let this happen to me? Over the years, I'm sure I've had my fair share of doing the wrong thing, but nothing to deserve this kind of pain. So why me? Why did my friend have to struggle with his mental health so much that he saw no other way out? I think one of the only reasonable responses is why. And then comes bitterness, because it all seems unfair. And even more unfair, I may never get an answer to all of those whys. While looking into the definition of bitterness, I decided to look into the antonyms or opposites of bitterness. And some of my favorite examples were empathy, friendship, and delight. This time has been challenging, but has brought out amazing support from some of you. Um, and love, especially between me and my friends. And what I would encourage you to do today is to think about your own struggles and times where it quite literally feels as though you can't go on and place that with God. There's a great, a great quote from John Piper I'd like to share with all of you. When everything in life is stripped away except God and we trust him more because of it, this is gain and he is glorified. I'm not speaking to you as a teacher of this, but as a fellow student. <laughs> because I am still learning to let go of my bitterness 
um, and focus on the fact that it is a part of God's plan. The main reason I wanted to share this and speak to y'all today was to encourage you, especially with all of the students going back to school and some venturing out to college for the first time, which is very fun, to be fair. Um, but also anyone who is alive in this room today, um, I encourage you to have open conversations with your parents, your families, your children, your friends about mental health. Mental health is a real issue, and if we continue talking, we can save lives. Um, your mental health having struggles is simply an internal wound, and just like an external wound, you have to treat it and help it heal. I know how hard it is to have these conversations, but I urge you to try and always be open. And if you need help, please don't wait till it's too late. I would also like to remind you that you never fully know what a person is going through. So be kind, love one another, and hug your people. Um, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, In all this you are greatly rejoice, through no, through, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Thank you. So for Abigail, after facing such a terrible loss, or for me, seeing her hurt, so much it would be easy to say like Naomi did call me Mara call me bitter God because you didn't do what you could have done and I can't stand you for that you could have intervened you could have stopped this from happening you could have prevented my daughter's pain you you could have let someone else be the last person that young man spent time with on and on the questions no answers and it would be easy to blame God and to become angry and allow my anger to fester and to become bitter. It would be easy to say, I went out full, but I came back empty. God, why in the world would you allow this to happen? Naomi felt that way. Call me Mara. What's interesting is what Naomi did. She made two very big mistakes. First mistake, she left Bethlehem. She left the blessings of God. She went into enemy territory. The second mistake is that she blamed God. God, it's all your fault, even though she stayed away from God for over a decade. Can't always blame God for her choice. But Naomi did get one thing right, and I love this about her. You see, her roots were still with God, and she called God by a very specific name. And what I've discovered is that what you call God reflects how well you know God. Amen. I want you to think about this for a moment. The way you view God and how you address him, what you call him, reflects on how well you know him. For example, if you just refer to God as like the big guy up in the sky, the man upstairs, You've moved him a to a completely different location. You're not very close. Because once you know him and once you've experienced him and once you've been transformed by him and once you've tasted and seen that the goodness of God is so real and once you've been forgiven by God in ways you could never even comprehend or understand and once you see his sovereignty and his goodness working in all things, even the bad things to bring about good, suddenly you call him things like Savior, Redeemer, you call him things like my rock and my shield, my fortress, my God who is my comforter. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is my righteousness. He's my friend. He's always with me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. When you know God, 
You call him by more intimate names. And while what she does is she reveals her pain, she reveals her bitterness, but in spite of it all, she reveals she's still got, Brother Gary, a little bit of faith, right? Just a little bit. Because she says, call me Mara because, now watch this, call me Mara because the Almighty has made me, he's made my life very bitter. In the Old Testament, there were many names for God because in the Hebrew language, names revealed attributes of God. They revealed adjectives to describe how God was working in that moment in their lives, how they viewed the work of God in the moment that they were in. Right now, there's a very popular Christian worship song that's out from Maverick City and Elevation called Jira. And Jira is the name of, not the name of God, but it revealed an attribute of God. When combined with the name Jehovah, first instance, we find it is in Abraham, he's about to offer Isaac a sacrifice, and, and, and God provides a ram caught in the thicket for the sacrifice instead, and Abraham called God Jira because God provides. So Naomi reveals what she knew to be true about God when she declares the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The Hebrew name for God that she uses there is translated Almighty is El Shaddai. Now, some of you grew up listening to Amy Grant sing El Shaddai, and you had no idea what it meant, but El Shaddai, it means God is always ample. No matter what I'm going through, God, his presence is ample. It is adequate. God is always enough. A very literal translation would be this, that God is exactly what you need when you need him. He is El Shaddai. He is ample, he is adequate, he is enough, he is always there. Whatever you need in this moment, God is exactly what you need at this time, right now, in this place, today. By his power, he is exactly what you need, he is El Shaddai. So what Naomi literally is saying is this, she's saying, call me Mara, because El Shaddai, the God who is enough, has made my life bitter. She's still angry with God, don't get me wrong. But even in her anger, she acknowledges that God is enough. God is able. God is what she needs. Now watch how the rest of the story unfolds. Naomi is broken. She's confused. She doesn't know where God is. She tells her daughters-in-laws, you go back home, I'm going home. Ruth says, no, I want to stay. Ruth returns with Naomi to Bethlehem. They begin to endeavor to live. They don't have much. They are relying on the kindness of others to provide for them. Matter of fact, if you read the story, you find them gaining grains of wheat from the corners of the fields after they've been cut by the landowners just to have enough food to eat. Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's still a young woman, she waits patiently for God to bring her the right man. And you can read the very powerful story of how God brought her Boaz who was a handsome man, a rich man, a godly man. And ladies, on a side note, if you're single, anytime you have a handsome man plus a rich man plus a godly man, that equals a husband. <laughs> Come on, don't you settle for any old guy coming off the street. You settle for a godly man who's got his act together. That's right. Come on. And in Ruth chapter 4, you watch as God blesses this very special relationship out of Naomi's brokenness. And through now her lineage by marriage. Ruth chapter 4 beginning at verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And what did Naomi this 
the one woman who felt as if God had taken everything from her, who'd left her bitter and angry and frustrated and alone. What, what do we see Naomi do at this moment? I love this because Naomi said she, was, she didn't have nothing else to give. She had gone out full and she came back empty. She was completely distraught and had nothing left to offer. Verse 16 says, Naomi took the child into her arms and she cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. Now watch this. Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. They named him Obed, which means servant of God. And I want you to see how this plays out. Obed is the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Over a thousand years pass, you see this lineage that God brought out of the story of Boaz and not of the story of brokenness. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Matthew records the lineage uh, 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 a set of uh, lineages, and he includes the lineage of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. On and on it goes, a thousand years of lineage, of history, generation after generation, until we come to verse 15. And it says, Eliad was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Mathan, and Mathan was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, I went out full. I came back empty. Call me bitter. She becomes a grandma in the lineage of Ruth and Boaz, out of which her brokenness, and out of all the bad, God begins to set in place the motion to bring about a Savior for the world. If our musicians and praise team would come, see, some of you may be wondering why I had Abigail come up here today. I mean, why does a dad make his daughter come up and relive this moment in her life? Now, first of all, I didn't make her. She asked to do it, so don't, don't fuss at me, but... As she shared with you what she wanted to share today, I'm going to be honest with you. I think today is just the beginning of this story for Abigail. As she shared to me what she wanted to share with you, I thought about another story from the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph, we know him as a dreamer, a man that God gave a dream for a future, and he shared those dreams, and his brother scoffed at him and made fun of him and eventually became angry with him, and they faked his death, and they threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery, and sent him into Egypt, and Joseph gets to Egypt, and yet God's favor remained on his life, and he's a servant in a high government official's home, and he rises in the ranks of those servants, and eventually he's set up as the leader. He has control of the home. He's like the head butler, if you will, and he oversees all of his master's affairs, and he catches the eye of his master's wife. She pressed and tempted him and did everything she knew to do to get his attention, and when he maintained his integrity and he refused to sleep with her, she accuses him of rape and, he, and sends him to prison. In prison, God's favor is still on Joseph and he's highly respected and he interprets some dreams for some other prisoners and he asks one high-ranking official in the court of Pharaoh to just remember him and he promptly forgot about him. Now, if there was ever a guy who had a reason to be bitter, it was Joseph. 
He'd suffered loss after loss after loss, been mistreated, been lied about, forgotten about, imprisoned unfairly. I have no doubt that he had unresolved anger. I have no doubt that he probably needed to grieve. I have no doubt that if he felt as if he had a lack of control on his life, he had every reason to have the root of bitterness grow into a plant in his life and become just an awful, bitter mess. You all know the story. He eventually gets before Pharaoh. He interprets a pretty important dream. He sets Egypt up economically to survive a seven-year famine because the second-in-command over the entire nation is the position Pharaoh gives him. And then after 22 years, his brothers come to Egypt in search of food. Pretty crazy story. And finally, Joseph reveals who he is to them, and his brothers are scared to death. And you would be too. If you'd done something that awful to your brother in 22 years that allowed it to fester, you'd think he's coming for revenge, right? I mean, he's a man of power now. He has the power to snap his fingers and Pharaoh's soldiers come in and destroy his family, destroy all of his brothers. They're scared. They're going to get what's coming to them. And they come to Joseph fearful and afraid. And Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What Joseph's really saying is, yeah, I had a reason to be bitter. I mean, you'd have been bitter too. I had every reason to want to get even because what you did to me was intended to harm me, but God, he turned it for good. He took my resentment and my anger and my desire for vengeance and he channeled them into saving the lives of others. You meant evil, but God meant for good. And see, when I, what I come to see today is that though Abigail has suffered a great loss and she could become bitter, and maybe at some time she has felt bitter through the pain and through the bitterness, what could have derailed her, what could have voided the plan of God for her life, the enemy may have intended her friend's death to do exactly that, to harm her and all of her friends and keep them from accomplishing anything for God. But through the mercy and the grace of God, he can bring good out of it even now. And as she told her story this morning, if one kid in here said, you know what, I've been feeling that way, maybe I need to talk to somebody. If one teenager thought, you know what, maybe I need to reach out to somebody. If one young adult said, you know what, my mind is a mess, I need some help. If one grown parent looks at their kids and says, hey, we need to talk about some things here because there's some things going on and it's scaring me how you're acting. Let me talk to you about something. If any of those things come to pass, Many people can be saved because one person chose to share a story and say, God didn't, God allowed this thing to happen to me, but I'm not going to be bitter about it. I'm going to let God turn it into something better for somebody else. I know there are parents in this room, you're facing stuff with your kids, and you don't know where to turn or what to do. I want you to know today you can turn to Jesus, and you don't have to let the bitterness reign. You can turn it over to him and allow him to heal the hurt. I know that there are people who are struggling with your mental health. This world has revealed, if nothing else, the chaos of the last year and a half has revealed that people are struggling with how they think and how their minds work. And it will make them seem that they have a lack of faith if they come forward. I want you to know today, it's not a lack of faith to reach out for help. It's actually reaching out in faith to say, I can't handle it on my own. I need Jesus' help. 
And I'm here, and Abby was here today to tell you that it's okay to hurt and that it's okay to acknowledge that you don't have it all together. It's okay to cry out to somebody, to reach out to somebody, to love on somebody, to not suffer in silence and not stew in your bitterness and in your anger and in your frustration and realize that through it all, God is still enough. And he will help you through this moment. Through Abigail's brokenness today, I believe God is bringing healing and This is exactly what God can do for you. This is a word for somebody today in this moment, in your pain, in your brokenness, in your bitterness. Our God is bringing you a word that he will be exactly what you need. It is his love for you, his goodness to give you hope in the middle of your pain. And what I want to do today is I want to talk to somebody who went out full and you came back empty. I want to talk to somebody today who's holding bitterness toward God and wondering where God is and why God didn't and why God hasn't and why God has done this. I want you to talk to you today because I want to tell somebody that you may be disappointed with where you are. You may be disappointed on your job. You may be disappointed that you can't conceive or because you're still not married and you thought you would be or because you are married and the marriage is still struggling. You may be there today in the midst of it. But we serve a God, El Shaddai who is ample he is enough and in this moment he is with you in the midst of your situation and he can turn your bitterness into something beautiful if you're walking away from God today if you've been accusing God blaming him whatever the case may be I want to encourage you today his love has not walked away from you it pursues you it chases you it desires to connect with you And if you'd stand with me all over this house today, I want to give you an opportunity as they begin to sing to consider how God is pursuing you right now in this moment. He sent me today through a whole lot of chaos at the beginning of my message, through the lights not working and all kinds of other stuff because he was trying to get to you right where you're at today. He didn't, we didn't quit on this and he didn't quit on you. He loves you. And though in the midst of your bitterness, you may want to blame him. He's big enough to take your criticism and your complaint and love you anyway. Let him take your misery like he's doing with my daughter right now. And somehow by his power, turn that misery into ministry to help somebody else heal from brokenness and pain. Let him take your mess and make it into a message. Let him take your test and make it a testimony. Let him do in you what you never thought possible if you surrender your bitterness to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, all over this house today, I know there are people who have come into your presence, and many of them have hurts that are real. And God, they don't know how they got there. They don't understand why. Neither do I. But this is what I know. You're never afraid of my questions. And you're always willing to take what I surrender and make it better. And so today, God, I want to get rid of the bitterness in my heart. I want to surrender it to you. God, I want you to remove it out of my heart so I don't respond in anger and frustration and all the things that come into my life because I've been bitter. I want to surrender it to you, oh God, knowing that you can take my bitterness and you can give me a life that's worth living. That You dreamed a dream about my life so long ago and you have plans for me that you want to accomplish And so today I surrender it to you knowing you can do more with me than I can do with myself. I give you, God, this moment. I I, I surrender to you in this moment, God. You are my God. You are my almighty. You are the one who can do in this moment with me what I need done. 
and I trust you in this moment today. If you've identified with anything I've talked about today, this altar is open for you. Come and surrender yourself to him today as they begin to sing and register the fact that you know who God is and that his love is for you.
That's something very special for somebody playing today. We don't, I can't ever remember a service being interrupted by the entire power going out at one time. I can't ever remember us literally going forward and trying to figure it out as we go. And tech team, you did an amazing job, but more importantly, Jesus would not be deterred. He would not be delayed. He would not be put off. And so the, the reason I bring that up is because in our own lives sometimes we face delays and we face denials and we face all kinds of things that seem like are sent our way to prevent God's best for us. We have in our mind a plan, we have it all figured out, we've mapped it out, we know every destination that we're gonna hit along the way. It seems like all throughout the path, boom, a wall comes up, boom, the lights go out, boom, the sound goes out, boom, everything, one after the other, detours, delays, denials, stopping us from accomplishing what God is trying to build in our life. And what I know about God is that there's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no lie he won't put down. There's no trouble that he won't come through. There's no battle he won't fight. There's no war he won't win. There's no thing, nothing you can do or say will derail him or stop him. Paul said, can tribulation do it? Nope. Can distress do it? Nope. Can peril do it? Nope. Can famine do it? Nope. Can sword do it? No. There is nothing that can come against you to delay or stop the love of God. And so today, whatever you're going through, wherever you are, I believe God sent me to tell you that in this moment right now, it does not matter what you've been through. It does not matter what troubles have come. It doesn't matter how bad it's been. It doesn't even matter what you have done to contribute to the problem. He is very able, very ample. He is in this moment with you and for you, and he wants to take you through to the next piece if you're willing to embrace his mighty great love in this moment and say, God, I surrender to you. I don't want to be who I'm trying to be on my own. I want to be who you want me to be. So all over this house, before we dismiss today, I want to give you one last opportunity in this moment. Surrender yourself to him. Throw up your hands in the air and say, Jesus, I give you me. Warts and all, problems and all, struggles and all, this is who I am and you love me anyway. I'm so thankful, God, for your love that can't be denied, it can't be delayed, it can't be pushed aside. It comes for me, it pursues me, it chases me. And in this moment, God, I embrace you, I surrender to you, I want everything you have for me. God, I give you me today, Lord. Whatever it looks like, whatever you have for me, I want it, I want all of it, God. And one day, God, no matter what I face, I recognize, God, that even the bad stuff you can make good. Even the stuff in my life that is ugly and troublesome and I struggle with, God, I know that in, my, in your presence you can bring joy instead of pain. You can take those things that have caused me hurt in the past and turn them out for good. And so today I surrender them to you, oh God. I give them to you in your presence today. And Lord, tomorrow is a brand new day and I'm walking in it. I'm starting tomorrow, God. As I'm leaving today, I'm starting it tomorrow, brand new. I'm 
going to walk in favor and I'm going to trust you in that moment, God. And anything that I face, you're going to be with me and you're going to be for me and you're beside me and you're not going to leave me and you're never going to forsake me. In those moments when I feel lonely, I know you're with me and you will not leave me. I'm so thankful, God. I'm so thankful, God. All over this house, can we surrender some thanks up to his name today and just thank him for what he's done. Thank him for his presence. Thank him for his love. Thank him for touching you. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to feel and know you. ask you today as you leave here yeah we know there's lots of stuff we all got stuff right anybody in here that says you don't have stuff I wish you'd just be dismissed right now because you don't need anything I've got to say we all got stuff and the reality is this none of us deserve anything that we feel from the presence of God none of us deserve to have him in our life none of us deserve this moment None of us deserve breath that we took in this morning. None of us. And yet he willingly gives it to us every day. And all he asks us in return is to love him like he loves us. I want to love him, don't you? I want my life to matter. I want to do something for him that's great, that touches people's lives. But more importantly, I want to take the pain that has been in my life and I want to surrender it to God and allow him to use it to touch somebody else's life. And so this week, I want to challenge you. Somebody told me today that when, after first service, what, I, what we talked about today, stuff you unpack all week, and I'm okay with that. Take it home with you. But what I want you to do is whether it's on your job, in your neighborhood, at the daycare, when you get in your car washed, I don't care, wherever you are, ask God, Lord, the stuff I've struggled with, the pain I've gone through, whatever that looks like, God, use it to touch somebody else's life. Don't let it be something I stew on and I store in and I hold it to myself and get bitter about. No, no, no. God, what can I do? What can I say to take this that is in me and use it to bless somebody else? Because I promise if you're willing, God is more than able to take your mess and turn it into something amazing if you'll give it to him. Amen? God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Before we leave, one more time, let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank him for what he's done today. Thank him for his presence. Thank him for being in this house with us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. Blessed be your great name, oh God. We thank you in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We'll see you next Sunday. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.